Holy Father, just right now, help us, Father, to bask in the love that you've given us because of because it's immense. Father, we live in a world that claims to love us, that has things for us, that will help us, that will show their love, but it's really just empty words. You put your love into practice. Father, you've shown us grace. You've shown us mercy. You sent your only son to die for us, even when we were spitting in your face. Thank you so much for your love. And though it's even just a drop in the ocean, we proclaim our love for you because you first loved us. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Well, good morning, everybody. It's really good to finally see. Yes. What's up? Huh? Do you need something? Okay. I was going to say it's really good to see Dave here and smiling. And You know, you and Clark don't have to take so seriously. He said he'll give you a new heart spiritually. Like... <laughs> I don't remember preaching that we should all go get surgery together and actually get a new heart. So let's take it easy, guys. Like, calm down. <laughs> um, but don't worry. Today, I won't be reading any more of the Tibetan Book of the Dead. You can all breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> Although I am a little concerned because I don't remember who it was, but they said, I actually wanted you to read it and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, no, you'd be disappointed, but I mean, I was a little concerned that you wanted to see something. Um, <laughs> but no, the whole point of that, again, is what is your expectations? Because it's, it's really interesting how we'll take something that really, it has no power, it has no meaning, it has nothing. There, you know, the Bible talks about idols. It's made by human hands. It means nothing. And yet we expect something to happen when we read from the Book of the Dead or, or a witchcraft book, and, and we think maybe something is about to happen. But then when we open God's Word, we just kind of go, okay, this is God's Word, whatever. When the Bible says that it is God's double-edged sword able to pierce the heart, something is going to happen when you open up that book. It's supposed to change you. So again, you know, last week, we're, quick review, um, we're supposed to not leave our Christianity here at the door when we leave. We're actually supposed to be taking it out, ingraining it in our lives. Again, it's not about attending church, it's about being the church. And then we saw within the scriptures that we had that, you know, don't let jealousy and envy take a foothold in your life, it's actually really vile and dangerous. Because we saw the Jews in this synagogue where Paul and Barnabas were preaching became envious of them because once they preached the gospel, the whole city came and wanted to hear everything that they had to say. And that synagogue had been sitting there for who knows how long, and it was an outside force 
that brought people in. And so instead of saying, wow, God is really moving here, God is doing something amazing here, it's like, well, you know, how come it didn't work for me? How come God didn't do something like that for me? And jealousy and envy and strife can be a real problem within the church. And then again, we're, we're going to see continuing on in our, in our scriptures, but remember, when God moves big in lives, or in your life, or anybody else's life, there will be a, a massive amount of opposition. Just remember, if people reject the gospel, simply do what Jesus told us to do, shake the dust off your feet, and move on. Because you can't yell them into heaven, you can't persuade them, there's no other way in order to get them to salvation other than the Holy Spirit himself doing his work in them. And if they are rejecting that, then you might as well like hold your breath, save it, and move on to something else. But today we're going to move on. We're going to go into Acts chapter 14. But before we do that, let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for today. We thank you again for your word. We come to you, Father, expecting something from you and your word. Whatever it is, change our hearts according to your will today. Help us, Father, to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ, than when we first walked in here. Help us, Father, to take these words that are yours and put them in our lives and take them outside of this building and throughout the rest of the week. In Jesus' holy name, amen. All right, Acts 14, 1 through 3. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So church, we see the apostles get kicked out of one city, go straight into another region, and they decide to come to Iconium, and they just continue to do the exact same thing. Okay, again, they don't stop and think, well, maybe we should just tone it down a bit. Maybe if we do it this way, we won't get kicked out this time. Maybe if we do it this way, more people will attend, and, and they won't be mad at us. They just present the gospel as it is to each city that they go to. They don't take time to figure out what's best for them to be able to preach the gospel. They just trust in God as they continue on. On top of that, again, once again, they have this huge success. Both Jews and Gentiles start believing, and then they come across opposition. And it says, it's really interesting, that the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed a long time speaking boldly in the Lord. Okay, this isn't just about like, I'm going to stick my finger at, I'm going to bite my thumb at you and I'm just going to stay here just out of spite. There was an actual purpose to this. But I do find it interesting that unbelieving Jews, the Jews typically looked down on the Gentiles, but they weren't beneath using the Gentiles for their own gains to try to kick out the apostles. See, that was one of the biggest sins for these Jews. As Jesus even says this, 
You shut out heaven and won't let anybody else in, and you yourselves won't enter yourselves. So they're not allowing these Gentiles to fully embrace and understand the gospel. But there's a couple of things here. First of all, we, all, we, we still need to understand that opposition does not stop us from preaching the gospel. Again, the world has always and will always have hatred for Christ. There's been times where it's been more subdued than others. There's been times it's been escalated more than others, but it's always been there. As a matter of fact, I was watching, there's a a street preacher in London who was simply reading John 3 to a crowd, and it happened to be the gay community, and they got the man arrested. They falsely accused him and got him arrested and get him out. And for most people, it was shocking. Oh, my gosh, how, how could they do this? And it's, it's doing the same thing that they did back in these days. There's nothing new under the sun. They don't like the message. They don't like to hear that. And a lot of people wonder why. Well, why wouldn't you want to hear? We're just saying the love of God, the love of Christ. Why wouldn't people accept the love of Christ? Because it says that there is a sovereign over you. It says, the gospel specifically says, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. People don't like to hear that. I remember when I wasn't a Christian, I didn't want to hear that. I have sinned. I'm not that bad. Come on, if God is so loving, I mean, I haven't killed anybody. But people don't want to hear that they need a Savior. And so the only time, I will tell you, there's two instances. If you want the world to stop hating you, there's two instances where you can get that to happen. There's the first one. Just stop preaching the gospel. Stop telling people about Jesus. Stop even believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If you do that the world will immediately embrace you as its own. They will celebrate you. They will love you. They will bring you in and tell you what a great job that you're doing. If you just stop publicly and boldly, even if you still believe, if you just, you know, that's private. Just leave that at home, according to the world. Then the world is going to like you. Don't shove it in my face. Don't tell me about your God and I'll still like you. It's okay to be spiritual. It's okay to believe in this higher power. Just stop preaching the gospel. You know, the Bible specifically says that Jesus came to divide things. That his presence, his existence is a divisive entity. You either believe or you don't. And so Jesus specifically says, again, in Matthew 10, 21 through 22, now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. See, there's one other time where the world will stop hating you for the gospel. And that's when Jesus comes back. 
Because by that point, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, whether they want to or not. It'll be game over after that. And there won't be any more hatred or envy or anger towards believers who, who preach the gospel. So those are the only two options that you have. I recommend you don't choose the first one. Because it says those who endure to the end will be saved. I really highly recommend that. I really recommend to wait till Jesus' return. Go out into the world and expect someone to be angry with you because you tell them that Jesus loves them and died on the cross for them. Expect it. You know, I, I listened to a preacher who, in his specific words, were the fruit of our boldness is opposition. The fruit. If we face some kind of opposition and stand in the truth, again, that means we're doing something correct. It doesn't mean we change course or change strategies, and it absolutely does not mean that we change the message at all. Now, again, I always have to be careful, and there's a difference between being hated for the gospel and hated simply because you're being a jerk. Be very, very careful. It says... It says in the Bible to guard your doctrine and your life, to be at peace with anyone you can, to show the love of Christ. Okay, so watch your life and make sure, am I being hated for the gospel or am I just being a doofus? Those sometimes, you know, a lot of Christians today will yell and scream and get mad and, and tell people and just scream, you're going to hell you're evil, you're a harlot, you're this, you're that. And they go, oh, well, look, I'm being persecuted for my faith. It's like, no, you're, you're, you, asked, you got asked to leave the restaurant because you wouldn't stop yelling at the waitress. Like, you need to realize and understand. This is why when it says to always be ready to give an answer with gentleness and respect because you don't want anything to be held against you. If there's someone who says, I, I've talked to people, and they say, well, that's nice, but, you know, I really would rather, you know, I'm kind of done with this conversation. Okay, cool. How about them Dodgers? Like, let it go. That was just for Ken, and he wasn't even here. <laughs> He's in the kitchen. He can still hear me, though. That's a good thing. How about them Dodgers, Ken? <laughs> but again, it's gentleness and respect. This is the most important message you can give to somebody but you cannot force them into it. They have to decide that. So again, the apostles, they didn't get scared. They didn't get timid. They didn't get mad or yell or scream back. They didn't even let their op that opposition distract them from the very purpose that God called them to. They simply stayed as long as possible and continued to preach the gospel. There was one other thing that I wanted to point out in this particular scripture says that God was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Let's take a look at Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. So here's the thing. To be a Christian is to have a life touched and marked by the divine and the supernatural. Each of us have some kind of gift or ability. We all have the same Holy Spirit who does things beyond ourselves. In Mark 16, 17, Jesus says that signs and wonders will follow those who believe in him. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit has distributed gifts to the believers for various purposes and reasons and degrees. Each believer and dwelt with the Holy Spirit has some kind of gift. He provides all of us with different gifts according to his will. This is something that some will have the gift of encouragement, some will have the gift of teaching, some will have gifts of interpretation, so on and so forth. But in Galatians 5, Paul points out and talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. You don't get to pick those. That marks all of those things. You notice how Paul very poignantly says fruit, not fruits. It's not plural. It's one. All believers need to be walking in this. Love, joy, peace, patience, all that good stuff. Again, it doesn't work where some of you have love, some of you have patience, some of you have gentleness. All of us should have this. This describes a Christian. This is what his or her life should specifically look like. You know, just coming to church on a Sunday is not evidence of the Spirit working in you. Again, being the church all week long and allowing the Spirit to flow in you and through you is what marks that. Being marked and guided by the divine sets you apart and makes us different. Walking in the Spirit is a natural inclination of the believer. So there should be something daily. It should almost become natural. The supernatural should be natural for us. Now, again, there's various degrees. I'm not saying that you will constantly wake up and just miracles like these, what we call massive miracles, will just flow through us. But it's a little miracle of like someone's asking me about their, my faith and I really don't have an answer for them with what they're asking and the Holy Spirit just gives you what they need to hear. That's a miracle. Praying for healing and someone being healed is a miracle. All of these things should be normal. Hearing the Holy Spirit and following him is a miracle. That is what it means to be marked by the divine. And this is what marks the apostles in Iconium. And they stayed there for as long as possible until things began to escalate. Look at Acts 14, 4 through 7. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia. 
I love Greek words. And to the surrounding regions, and they were preaching the gospel there. So again, the message the apostles gave divides an entire city. We just went over what opposition will come when you stand with Jesus. Again, Jesus and his message are not ever meant to be family-friendly, PG-type stuff. As much as the response of accepting him and believing in him can be immense and amazing, the opposition can just be as fierce and aggressive. This is not just something that you do. I mean, you think the political environment of our 200-year-old country is divisive. Jesus is is a controversial and divisive figure that's been from the very beginning for over 2,000 years. Entire nations have rised up against this message. He even says so again in Luke 12, 51 through 53. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not all, but rather division. For from now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. And again, it goes on to say, father will be divided against mother, sons and mothers and daughters. All of these people would be divided against itself. It will happen. Again, but the apostles didn't let any of this dissuade them from staying as long as possible not because they were being defiant or rebellious. They saw a virgining and blossoming church in that area and stayed as long as possible to build it up and edify it, to pray over them, to teach them, to help them become the church. They only left when it became violent, only to move on and preach the message somewhere else. And then, and then we have a very interesting little story happen as we continue on in, in Acts 14. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul preaching. Paul observed him intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leapt up and walked. Again, this is a commentary that I read talking about this. Paul and Barnabas did many miraculous works, one of which is recorded in the following passage. Yet they did not travel as miracle workers. Their focus always was preaching the gospel. The apostles did not go to these cities to do miracles and then to preach. Rather, it was the other way around. They went to preach, and then sometimes there was healing. See, again, we see a lot of these on TV, these faith healers, these miracle workers, and that's their whole shtick. You know, give me $1,000, and I'll send you a vial of miracle water, and you will have a million dollars. Or come and be healed. There's one in particular, Benny Hinn is very much known for this. But again, a true disciple and and follower of Jesus is never about just the miracles. 
he or she is about preaching the gospel. And then if miracles come, then so be it. We have to be very, very careful of that. Their purpose was never to try to do as many miracles as possible to bring in the crowds. Notice again that their words brought people in. Now, there are times when miracles will then bring more people in, but that's not what they were known for. Notice when their words brought people in, there was a blossoming church that happened. When, they, when miracles brought people in, there became problems and devices, as we'll see here in a little bit. But again, notice as they're preaching that Paul watches intently this particular man. This man probably was not really, no one really gave him a second thought. And he wasn't sitting there yelling at the apostles, heal me, heal me, I believe, please heal me. He's just sitting there listening to the message. But Paul was observant. He was focused on this man. And with the prompting and the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul then called out to him to have his affliction healed. And then things get a little crazy. Because again, notice when miracles are the focus, we have things like this happen in 11 through 13. When the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice in their language. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in the front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitude. Wow. Whoops. So, but here's the thing. Don't be too harsh on them. The Gentiles, these pagans, recognize the divine. And they're just acting according to what they know. They see something happen. They realize that these men, something's happened with these men that men don't do. And so they're responding according to what they, they, they understand. And as a matter of fact, this particular region has had a legend that, that as a matter of fact, there's a reason why they call him Zeus and Hermes is because according to the legend, Zeus and Hermes visited this land in disguise as normal human beings and no one gave them any kind of hospitality except for an older couple. So being the Greek gods because of the way that they are, they had anger towards the people and both Zeus and Hermes wiped out the whole population except for this old couple. Now again, take that legend that everybody knows, and now you have two men who just performed a divine miracle. And they're like, we are not going to have our city wiped out. This must be Zeus and Hermes again. Let's make sure they understand how grateful and wonderful they are. So we're going to get the oxen, we're going to get the garlands, let's get the priest, let's start sacrificing to them. This is why they were so quick to honor Paul and Barnabas. But again, thankfully, the apostles respond appropriately and lead the crowd back to the truth. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing this? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God 
who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in the bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. With, this, with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So, the apostles tore their clothes kind of for two reasons. One of the main ones is because this is a very serious Jewish response in the presence of blasphemy. They're blaspheming right now. They're calling these men gods and trying to worship them. So this is a way of showing how appalled that they are, that they're tearing their clothes, they're ripping their clothes. This is why when Jesus is, is basically proclaiming himself God to like the high priest, he tears his clothes because he believes that he's blaspheming. How can you make yourself equal with God? Another reason is they're trying to show the Gentiles that they're just flesh and blood. There's nothing special about them. They're not glowing. They don't have halos on them. Nothing is happening. They are exactly as they are. Paul gives us very bold speech of how they are not trying to get praise and worship from themselves, but the people should turn to the one true God who has created everything. This is why he says God created the heavens and the earth and the sea and the so on. Because again, the Greek gods had minor little domains. Poseidon, the god of the sea, Zeus, the god of the air, all these different things. And, and Paul is pointing out that there is one true God who created it all. And you are to turn from these useless things and turn toward the one God who created you. As a matter of fact, this kind of reminds me, again, this is our 100th anniversary in Foursquare, and so I'm reading a lot of Amy Simple's books. And in one, she talks about when she first started out and when she first became kind of noticed and prominent. And, you know, she would have these uh, revivals that she would be preaching, but then, there were, again, there would also be healings. Um, people would leave crutches at the altar and, and, and sick beds and all these different things. And the papers began to call her the miracle woman. And, and they, they realized that things were happening. And because of all of this publicity, massive crowds, one night a massive crowd of sick people gathered to her area, to wherever it was that she, she was doing her thing. And she became real nervous. And, and she took all of her prayers, all of her concerns to prayer and worried that she wasn't going to be able to heal all of them. And during her prayer, God assured her that it wasn't her doing the healing, that he was particularly doing the healing. She was simply just the vessel that he was performing these things. And then she went on to the meeting. She preached, and during that time, a massive amount of people were healed. Again, the altar was filled with crutches and sick beds and all these different things. And then after, when she was all done and she sat in her room alone, she stated that God said this to her. Remember, if at any time you allow people to call you the miracle woman and say that you healed them, you will have no power. Whatever the results, you are to say, the glory belongs to the Lord. All glory and honor belongs to God. She is very well known for saying glory, glory to God. I can't do it in her voice. 
She was very charismatic. But every time she did something, glory to God, glory, glory, glory to him alone. You see, when, one, when a true disciple does any particular type of miracle, he or she always recognizes and points it back to God, which is exactly what the apostles were attempting to do. This crowd was kind of going on a frenzy. They were starting to sacrifice oxen, and they're trying to yell out, no, glory alone to God, glory to him alone. He has come down and saved you, not us. But then we see, it's really interesting, we see from that, we see a complete and utter switch in Acts 14, 19 through 20. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the, apostles, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went to the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So I want to point out that these, these Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they traveled about 100 miles to do this. That is some serious hatred and dedication on their part to realize where they were, and they went over to the city to cause this problem. But the main thing I wanted to point out again is look how quickly and easily a crowd can be persuaded and changed. One minute they're worshiping you, singing your praises, telling you how wonderful you are. Then the next minute they want to kill you. It happens. Crowds are very, very fickle. Never base your self-worth or success, or anything on a crowd's adoration. A group of people will change their minds. You will say something or do something that they do not like, and they will have a completely different demeanor. This is why I like this verse, and be thou my vision, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always, thou and thou only the first in my heart. O King of glory, my treasure thou art. Again, I don't care nor am I concerned if man ever comes to me and says, well done, good and faithful servant, because it's an empty reward. Plus, with one breath they can say that, and the next breath they can curse me. Again, people change. I want to hear God say that. Well done and good and faithful servant because that is the eternal reward. That through faith in Jesus Christ, I have come to the reward that will not leave nor be taken away nor rot because Jesus never changes. And then we're going to finish up this chapter real quick. 21 through 28. When they had pre preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in which they had believed. And after that, they passed through Pisidia, and they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. Italia. Blah, blah, blah. 
From there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to, to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that they opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Again, this is what you do when you care more about disciples than converts. With a convert, you say, okay, good job. You know, thanks for believing in Jesus and never speak to them again. If you care more about disciples, you go back. Just like the apostles. Hey, how are you doing? Here's some instructions. Here's what you do. Here's what you're doing right. Here's what you're doing wrong. Because we care about you. Even when it was dangerous to go back, they went back to these churches and established and encouraged them and instructed them in their newfound faith. They even appointed leaders and elders within the church so that when they were gone, they weren't just left to themselves. And then again, they went back to the churches and reported all that God had done to them with them and through them and even bringing Gentiles into the faith. This is what a functioning and God-blessed church looks like. This is the method that carried the message throughout the centuries. Maybe if, as the modern church, we stop trying to come up with some new business model and we just go back to the old one, maybe things would seem a little bit better because God's ways are usually more effective than ours. Actually, it's always more effective. There's nothing new under the sun, so why try? God's ways are so much better than our ways. And again, don't care so much about the converts. Care about the disciples. The disciples, if you want to make disciples, you have to sacrifice your time and your energy. With a convert, you just write down how many he had. Great, you send it off to him, into a report, and everyone praises you and says, oh, look how wonderful that is. Well, the disciple, it takes time. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. They call you with very tough questions that you try to struggle and understand and help them with. You have to have some kind of sacrifice in order to develop a disciple. But again, that is what each and every one of us is called to do. Someone discipled you in the faith. Now it's your turn. And then it'll be their turn and so on and so on and so on. So again, just to finish this up real quick, remember that a believer's life is always touched and marked by the divine. Miracles and gifts and powers of the Holy Spirit always follow those who believe in him. Remember that opposition should not stop us from preaching the gospel, but it should encourage us to continue further on. And again, let's stop caring about converts and numbers and more about making disciples because that's a thriving church. And then let us remember that God is in the miracle-working business to this day. That's the main premise of the Foursquare Church. Amy Simple looked at it and said, if he did it then, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he will do it now. And that is what she preached, and that is why we are a multi-international movement that's celebrating its 100th anniversary. So remember, God still wants to do miracles, but that's not 
his whole entire purpose. His whole entire purpose is the miracle of someone accepting and believing in Christ and then following him and giving their life to him. So last verse as the worship team comes up. John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you that you never change. We thank you that you mark our lives by your divine presence. Help us, Father, to walk in that, to be about your business, to remember that even when opposition comes, you are bigger than any opposition the world can give. Help us, Father, to remember that the world has tried to wipe you out for over millennia and millennia and has not succeeded. Help us, Father, to remain and endure to the end so that we may be saved. Help us, Father, to be about your business today, tomorrow, and however many days that you give us. Help us to walk in your divine and supernatural power and being wherever it is that we go as we leave this place today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, guys, take your time, worship, pray, uh, and then we are going to have some fellowship and enjoy a meal together. But God bless and hope to see you guys next time.